If my heart is overwhelmed and I cannot hear your voice, hold on to what is true, though I cannot see. In the storms of life they come, and the road ahead gets steep. I will lift these hands in faith, I will believe. I'll remind myself of all that you've done, and the life I have because of your son. Love came down and rescued me. Father, we have come today to worship because you have called us to be your children. We come in gratitude and thanksgiving for who you are and what you've done. And we know that you're here with us. And we just want to praise you. We want to hear from you. We want to, we want to know you more. So we pray that your love would just move in our hearts, individually and collectively. May this time of worship bring glory to you and draw us closer to you. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today.
One of the highlights of our Wednesday night children's ministry is the uh, annual Buddy Keith Memorial Grand Prix and sailboat race. And that's taking place this Wednesday night. And uh, some of you have children who are part of that ministry. And it's going to be it's an exciting time. Lots of energy and excitement as the races go on. But even if you don't, uh, I encourage you to come and cheer the kids on. And uh, it's, it's a really fun time together. And that will take place in the community room Wednesday night at 630 and just want to make you aware of that and invite you to that event. There are other things happening as we move toward Easter. Things happening during Holy Week with uh, Monday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter morning. And uh, as you see in the bulletin, if you're interested in being baptized on Easter morning, uh, let me know. We'll be having a class in the next week or so to prepare for that. There are a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin, folks we've been praying for for a while. We do want to mention that we had three really positive uh, reports this week. Uh, good report for Linda Roth and Bruce Brenneman and for Donna Hess. All of them received uh, positive reports from some recent tests they had. And so we're praising the Lord for that and giving thanks for that answered prayer. Continue to pray for their healing as well as others. We also have a, a new member of our church family David Si-Yung Park was born to Jung-Koo and Ji-Yung uh, this weekend, and there's a picture of him. And we are excited about uh, his entrance into the world and a blessing to their family and to our church family. And we give thanks for them, and everyone seems to be doing great. And we're excited about this new birth. You know, sometimes as we go through our week, we, we just sort of go through the, the daily activities, and uh, we, you know, we earn money, we spend money, we, we go through our day, and, and sometimes we forget that what we have is a gift of God. And one of the reasons that we, we collect offerings on Sunday is to remind us of all that all that we have is a blessing of God. And so this morning, as the ushers come to assist us, we're going to, it's just one way of expressing our gratitude to God as we give back to Him uh, out of all the ways in which He has blessed us.
through the blood of Christ that God calls us to relationship with him. And part of that relationship is prayer. We offer our prayers of thanksgiving, gratitude, and our prayers of intercession, praying for one another in the world. If you'd like to offer your prayers at the altar rail, please come and join me. Father, we come today in gratitude for who you are, for all that you've done, for the blood of Christ. We pray, Father, that you will capture our hearts with the sacrifice of Christ for our sins and for the gift of freedom, salvation, and life that is ours in Christ. Father, we thank you that you call us to prayer. That you love for us to come to you and share the burdens of our hearts. And this morning, we do just that. As we think about the people for whom we've been praying, we want to give you thanks for the good reports that we've heard this week. For Linda, Bruce, and Donna. We pray that you will continue to work your healing in them. We pray for Jeannie and Bev and Edna and for Micah and Bob, for Bill, for Crystal, for Emily and for others who are on our minds and hearts today for whom we pray in this moment of silence. Father, we also pray for those who are grieving today. Thank you for your mercy that helps us in all of the ways in which loss and grief come to us. We pray for your comforting presence. and We pray for your mercy in every grieving heart. We pray, Father, for our world. We think about the people who are trying to figure out how to even respond as the search continues for Flight 370. We pray that you will work miraculously in this situation and that you will, you will help every person who is grieving. We pray, Father, for the people who are dealing with the mudslide in Washington. We ask for your grace upon those who have lost loved ones, for those who have been injured, for the trauma that has been caused. We pray, Father, for other circumstances around us in in western New York, in our state, in our country, in the world, in which people face issues of natural disasters and drought and famine and all the ways in which we suffer. In this broken world. Father we pray for our brothers and sisters. Who face severe opposition and persecution. We ask that you would give them strength. To stand tall and firm for you. And that that you would help them to. To be able to be bear witness of you. In the midst of great difficulty. Help them to know our love and our support and our prayers. And we pray that their example of faithfulness would stir us to lives of faithfulness. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. We pray that you will continue to draw us together in heart and purpose as we continue to worship you. Let the spirit of the cross be upon us in power and grace. We ask all of this through Jesus Christ, our Savior the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the one who so graciously provides us with a model for prayer, teach us how to pray, to unify us in mind and purpose, the prayer which we now pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us... The scripture reading this morning can be found in Luke uh, 22, verses 1 through 34. Please stand for the reading of the scripture. Now the festival of unleavened bread, called the Passover, was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might be betrayed. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine at the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves." For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked you to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. This is the word of the Lord. What wondrous love is this, O my soul? What wondrous love is this, O my soul? What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul? To bear the dreadful curse for my soul? 
Father, thank you for your wondrous love to us in Christ. Help us understand more of what it means for Christ to come and to die. And of your love for us. We ask this through Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. I'm going to ask you to participate a little here, here this morning. I suspect that most of us have some family traditions or rituals that uh, either we grew up with or we have established as a part of our family now or things that we do. And I just want to take a couple of moments to see if anybody would have the courage to stand up and just, you know, just real briefly say this is something that we did as, uh, in our family or this is something we do in our family Anybody willing to, to uh, share with us a little bit? Excellent. Um, we still do this, but all growing up, we do Sunday dinners after church with my grandparents. And it was really special for us because our weeks were very busy and we very rarely actually ate dinner together as a family. So being able to sit down for an hour or two every Sunday together is something that I've treasured and carried on. That's awesome. Thank you. We, there is no end to the ski season this year, I'm pretty sure. Thank you for sharing. There are a few things that we did as a family. I was thinking about this. You know, I remember one of our traditions was to go to church camp every summer. And we had a, our family actually had a little cabin on the campgrounds. And I loved going, not because we went to church three times a day, which I'm pretty sure that was not the reason I loved going. But because a snack bar was there and you could have ice cream all the time. It was awesome. French fries, stuff that you never got, you know, at home. And you run around and play all the time. And our family had a tradition of going to uh, baseball games in Cincinnati every year. And now we have this tradition of, uh, we started years ago when John was a toddler, of watching a Disney movie, The Happiest Millionaire, on Thanksgiving. And uh, Christmas, either Christmas Eve or the day before, we watched the 1951 version of Scrooge. And uh, we always watch it in black and white, even though Ted Turner has colorized it. We like the black and white version because that's what we did when I was a child. We watched that as our family. We have all of these traditions and rituals that we do, and we embrace them, and they're special for us. And I think the reason why we do that is because it's the way God made us. Because when we read the scriptures, we see God doing the same thing with his people. When you look at the, in the Old Testament and God brings his people out of Egypt, right away he starts saying to them, there are rituals, there are traditions that I want you to practice. And he, start, and he names all of these festivals and all these things that he's going to do. There are weekly traditions and rituals and there are monthly re- traditions and rituals and there are yearly ones and there are ones that stretch over seven years and even some that go 50 years and, and there are ways of doing the sacrifices. And there, God has all of these things that he establishes for them, traditions and rituals that he says will help them as they live out being his people. And what I find fascinating is that in the church, even though we have these family rituals and traditions that we embrace, and we see that God institutes a lot of the things that are done, in the church we have a tendency to struggle 
against rituals and against traditions. And I think the reason for that is because they feel meaningless sometimes to us. They feel empty. They feel ritualistic. We don't engage in them. and they just are, They're just obligations that we do. And so, they, and so we look at them and see them as negative instead of positive. And, and I understand why we do that. It happens, it's, it's probably human nature to do that. In the beginning of this chapter of the passage we just read, beginning it says it was Passover time, which means the people were getting ready for the Passover. And what do we see the religious leaders doing? They're not really preparing for the Passover. They're plotting to frame Jesus for murder. They're plotting to murder him. And, and this ritual of the Passover that God established centuries before means nothing. It's empty. And so often, that is the reason why we say it doesn't matter. And I, I was thinking about the, that, what they are doing as they're preparing for the Passover and yet plotting to murder Jesus. It's sort of like the mafia don who orders a, a, a hit while he's on his way to Mass. Or the Christians who picket a funeral of a soldier and, and hurl slanderous words at the people who are mourning. Or leaving worship and getting into an argument about who gets to use the church or whose worship style is the best. We, the things that we do can so easily become empty and meaningless and ritualistic. It's human nature, but they don't have to be that way. And I'm convinced the problem is not the ritual. The problem's us. Because when we read, move on in this passage, Jesus says to his disciples, it's time for the Passover. And you would think he might say, we're not doing that. That thing doesn't mean anything. Nobody cares about it. It's meaningless. It's empty. No one, no one really pays attention to it. We're not buying into that. But he doesn't. He says, I can't wait to eat this Passover with you. And he sends John and Peter to go prepare. Because he wants to infuse it with his presence He wants to transform it. You see, the thing about rituals and traditions as we look at them in the scripture is that they they help us remember. They help us remember things that we are so often tempted to forget. And so in the Old Testament, you have all of these festivals, you have weekly Sabbath, and every one of them is intended to remember. This is the Passover. God says, it's so that you will remember, I brought you out of Egypt. You didn't do this on your own. I rescued you, and I did miraculous things, and I brought you out of Egypt and made you a nation. And every time you celebrate this Passover, you remember that. And the Feast of, of Pentecost is a time to remember as you bring in the harvest that everything you are gathering is because I blessed you. And the Feast of, of Booths is an is a opportunity for them to remember when they lived in the wilderness for 40 years and they all move outside of the, of the city and they live in little lean-tos to remember that in the wilderness they were, they were in a desperate situation and they were there because they rejected God and yet God protected them. And the Feast of Purim is, a, is there to remember how God rescued them from the Persians through Queen Esther. And over and over again, God says, these things help you remember, and that's why I want you to do them. And that's why I love the church calendar. That's why I think it's important for us, because it is this cycle of remembering all the things about Christ Advent, we remember the, the darkness as people waited for the Messiah to come, and we read the words of the, of the prophets in anticipation of that. And Christmas is the season where we celebrate the coming of Christ into the world. And Epiphany, the revelation of Christ, that he is for all people and that he is the servant of God. And Lent is the time to contemplate what Christ has done on the cross. And Easter to celebrate his resurrection and the victorious life that he promises us. And Pentecost to celebrate the church, the birth of the church and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And the church is Christ's bride and the kingdom. And every year we walk through that cycle and it feels repetitious sometimes, but we need to remember it because we so easily forget. And weekly Sabbath, weekly worship, we come together 
And sometimes it feels like we do the same things. But when we come together in worship, we sing songs that, that have truth in them that we might otherwise ignore or forget. We sing truths about who God is and about who we are and our relationships with him and with each other. And we read scriptures that are encouraging and enlightening and sometimes challenging and confusing, quite frankly. But we are confronted often with passages of scripture that we might either avoid or ignore or not even know they're there. And in coming together in worship and reading those passages, we're confronted with them and we hear them and God speaks to us through them. And we pray together as we we join our prayers as one. And we come together recognizing that our walk with God is not me and Jesus, it's us and Jesus. And that the corporate nature of our faith is essential to being the people of God. We need all of this. When Jesus gathers his disciples, he says, I'm going I'm to transform this, this tradition, this ritual of Passover. And he talks about it, and he breaks the bread, and he, and he gives them the cup. And he says to them, every time you do this, remember me. Remember. Remember. One of the things that happens when we come to this table is that we remember our sin. We remember that the cross is necessary because of our sin. And we all know our sin. We all know we sin. I mean, it doesn't take, it doesn't take someone else to tell us our sins. Now, we might need other people to tell us sins that we want to ignore or, or forget. But we know the ways in which we hurt people. We know the ways in which we fall short. The ways in which we reject God. The pain that we can cause. We know that all too well. And coming to this table, we are challenged and confronted with our sin that makes the cross and this table necessary. I don't know the, exactly the right word if it's, if it's uh, ironic or if it's, if it's tragic or sad, but when Jesus gathers his disciples here and, and he, he's, you know, he's pouring out his heart to them and he breaks the bread and, and, and gives them the cup. It's surrounded by their humanness and their sinfulness. He hands them the cup and he says, you know, one of you is going to betray me. And they get into this argument about who's going to betray him. And I, I imagine the argument is, which one of us is worse? Which one of the 12 of us is the worst? And that argument quickly moves into which one of us is the best. And you can see it evolving as, it's not me, I wouldn't betray him, I'm better than that. I'm certainly better than him. I, I wouldn't betray him, I'm his favorite. Well, I wouldn't betray him, I'm his favorite. No, you're not, I'm his favorite. And you, you, know, you watch this thing, and I can just see Jesus sitting there at the table, and this conversation, this argument escalating both in intensity and volume, and he's just shaking his head, going, what? I've lost control of the room here. And he says, guys, Stop. Don't you remember how many times I've told you? My kingdom is not who's the greatest. My kingdom is about who serves. About who's willing to be vulnerable. About who's willing to give of themselves just like I have given myself to you. And I'm about to give myself to the whole world. And Peter, you make these great claims. In a couple of hours, you're going to deny even knowing me. It's human nature to want to avoid our sin. And this table challenges us to remember. But if this table is a reminder of our sin, it is even more a reminder of God's grace. This table is not just about remembering. It is about encountering the mysterious God who comes in human flesh and goes to a cross and dies for us and rises from the dead and promises to come back. And, and it is about, quite frankly, things that are, we can't quite fully, completely comprehend. But when we come to this table, we encounter the grace of God in Christ. It's not just about us and our sin. It's about grace offered to us. And so at this table, 
It's not our body that's broken. It's his body that's broken. It's his blood that's shed. It's about remembering him. It's about the promises of Christ to be with us, to care for us, to return for us, to take us to be where he is. It is about his mercy poured out in our lives. And yes, we come acknowledging our sin, but we acknowledge our sin in the context of receiving God's grace that forgives our sin and cleanses us from sin. That's why John Wesley talked about communion, the Lord's Supper, as a means of grace. It is something in which we come and receive the grace of God. We don't come because we're perfect. We don't come because we have all the answers. We don't come because we've figured it all out. Because if that's the case, none of us would come. But we come because we yearn for God. We come because there is a desire in our hearts to be filled with the love and the grace of Christ, even when we don't always understand exactly what all that means. We come because God's grace invites us to come. And we celebrate his grace at work in our lives. And we do this together. We come, we celebrate the grace of God together. Through his mercy, we gather as one body, despite all of our differences, different ways of seeing things, different stuff that we deal with, different lives that we have lived and lives that we're living. We come together as one, as the body of Christ. Paul says that, There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one loaf that we we eat together. And it fascinates me that Jesus, knowing everything about his disciples, everything that they're going to do, turn on him, run from him, betray him, deny him, he says to them, I have eagerly anticipated eating this meal with you. I can't wait to get around this table with you And share this moment. And I know you guys have got a a long way to go. And there's stuff in your lives that's really messed up. But I love you. And I want you to know that love. And I want you to be embraced by my grace and my spirit. That you don't deserve, but that's grace. But I invite you anyway. And he hands them bread and cup. And they receive See, rituals don't have to be meaningless. Rituals don't have to be empty. Rituals don't have to be ritualistic. They can actually be anchors for our spiritual lives. They can call us back to who God is. They can call us to embrace who we are. Call us to remember. I've mentioned this to you before, but I'm not ashamed to admit it again that Cindy and I, I like watching the shows on the Food Network. I think I'm secure enough in my manhood that I can watch the Food Network and it's okay. You do realize most of the chefs in the world are males, right? I mean, when you have these shows on there, most of the chefs are males. But as we watch a number of these shows, especially the competition, cooking competitions, one of the things that I've noticed as I've watched them is that you will often see these guys come and compete. That you, you look at them and you would think they're not a chef. That weightlifters, maybe. Maybe they are, maybe they're part of a gang someplace. But they don't look like chefs. I mean, some of these guys, their muscle, they are so built. And, and they, you know, they walk in there with these tight T-shirts and, you know, they're rough looking, they got tattoos all over them. And, you know, and they, but they're great chefs. And what intrigues me is that they stand up and they, they start talking about the dishes that they've made. 
And someone asks them, so what inspired you to make this? And they start talking about a grandmother who, who raised them or taught them how to cook or their mother. Or maybe sometimes it's a father. And what intrigues me is that you see these big burly guys break down. I mean, some of them are crying so much they can't even talk. And they're weeping because all of these memories come flooding into their, into their minds about, where, about people in their lives who have influenced them. Some of them were influenced and got, and got out of really bad things in life. And as they make food, they talk about how they always think about that grandmother or their, or their mom or their dad or an aunt or someone. And they make food because they have inspired them. And they're always thinking about them. And it makes such a difference. And I think there's something of this table in that. That when we come to this table, we are overwhelmed with emotion about, what, about ourselves and the reality of ourselves and how far God has brought us. And the grace of God in our lives. Because see, remembering is not just what we do with our minds. It's every part of our being. It's our emotions, it's our attitudes, our actions. Everything about us, our relationships. Everything about us is connected to remembering. And when we come to this table, yes, we remember our sin. And we remember how far we fall short. But we also remember God's grace in Christ that reaches out to us and forgives us, redeems us, and sets us free. And we come to this table not to be shamed, but to celebrate God's grace. I wonder what our worship would look like, our church, our homes, places we work, our families, our lives. If every time we came to this table, we were overwhelmed by the sorrow of our sin and even more the joy of God's grace. Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy to us. We thank you for the cross. Lord, we pray today that you will pour out the abundance of your blessing upon the bread and the cup as we eat and drink we may know the joy of your grace forgiveness love mercy life Father we thank you the gift of your son. May the bread and the cup be food for our souls. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took, thank, took bread and gave thanks. And he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do in remembrance of me. We're going to receive communion this morning by the mode of intinction, which means to dip in. As you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it. 
and then return to your seat by the outside aisle. If you want to stay at the altar and pray, you're always welcome to do so. If coming to the front is difficult for you, or if you just prefer, we do have a tray of bread and cups, and we're happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And also, we do have gluten-free wafers and cups here. If that's an issue for you, just let me know as you come up, and I will serve you. I like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to God and with the desire for His grace in your life, then come, receive these gifts from our loving, merciful Heavenly Father.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.